Hey everybody, welcome to the first official episode of 2021. My name is Eric Wright, I'm going to be your host here at the Disco Posse Podcast. Today's episode, the first of the year, is brought to you by our good friends at Veeam Software. I have to give a big shout out to them because they've been both fantastic supporters of the blog and the podcast, and also love the team, love the platform, uh, so I do highly recommend it. And if you want to find out more, it's super easy. Uh, everything you need for your data protection needs, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's in your containers and cloud native, that's right, you even got to back those things up, uh, even down to physical servers, whatever it is, go to VEE dot am forward slash disco posse uh number one it lets you get to know more about veeam number two lets them know that old disco posse sent you over there so again go visit our friends at veeam software go to vee dot am forward slash disco posse and check it out for yourself also, one more thing, I'm very proud that we had really great uh, success so far with the book. So if you want to download the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos, if you're a technical seller, if you're anywhere in product management, product marketing, technical selling, it's a super way to get engaged and take the techniques and tools that I've learned through my industry expertise. If you want to find out more about that, it's very easy. Uh, you can go to velocityclosing.com. That's a short path link that'll get you there. So again, go to velocityclosing.com and you can hear all yours truly uh, you can read the book uh, you can also even get an audiobook of it which is pretty cool let's get on to the good stuff now this is going to be a really great conversation with rory wheeler i've had rory on before we actually had a two-part podcast called the magic of marketing rory is the creator of just Rory communications and it's something that it really really helps me you know to kind of learn about how to better communicate how to do stuff around really good engagement Rory's just a fantastic human uh he's an amazing magician he's an amazing communicator uh he's taught me a ton about negotiations so you're gonna want to check this out especially when it comes to kickoff season as we're heading into a very weird 2021 and you hear about how Rory is actually solving the problem of delivering engaging company events uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, in fact, we had one of the most fun intros I've had in a long time. So, check it out. This is Rory Wheeler of Just Rory Communications. Well, let's start over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to totally use that as the intro now. <laughs> <laughs> let's start over. <laughs> that's the that's the outtake. So, hey, this is Rory Wheeler of Just Rory Communications, and you are listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. intro well uh, people are already listening let's do that <laughs> uh hey so, this is steven spielberg welcome to the disco <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i i had a very specific purpose other than the fact that i love the chance that we get to uh, any chance we get to talk it's a good good chance of you know it's time well spent as a and e would say uh rory you've got a lot going on you've had a big year we've all had a big year uh, so for folks that already listened to the first couple of podcasts, we talked about the magic of marketing and, and we sort of tied in, you know, uh, what your show is and, and, and the in-person event experience, how to do crowd gathering, how it leads to sales training and a lot of other things. Uh, and then somewhere around March, the, the whole world decided to shake that system up, right? Not just in, you know, 
I sort of speak lightly, like it, like it shook up our tech events, like boo, you know, uh, yeah, no, the world is in a pandemic. So kind of way worse than that. I don't get to go to Las Vegas seven times a year. Uh, I'm probably better off having not gone to Vegas seven times this year. Um, but the, the world of events is fundamentally changed. Uh, and you've, you were doing a new launch. You had just Roar Communications. So you were moving into ramping up uh, sales training and negotiations and all sorts of crazy stuff. So let's, let's catch people back up on who you are, what you're doing. And then we're going to talk about why the world is vastly different as we head into 2021. Okay. That sounds good. Where do you want to start? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so when, when we last spoke, on the last, meanwhile, back at the show, uh, we had just Roar Communications had just launched actually when we did our podcast, which good golly, that's, it's a while ago. Um, so beyond in-person, you know, show experience stuff, what is the, what's the goal of folks when they come to just Roar, right? When they want to find out, you know, how to kind of amp up their, their overall program around better communications and, and selling and such. Sure. Uh, well, so to him and haw around, which is always good communications, a little joke. I, yeah. I got a smile, but they can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Our goal is really um, identity, helping people understand who they are and then how they relate to themselves, how they relate to others and how they relate to basically the creator. Um so with that being said, there's very specific behavioral ways that, that people are almost programmed and helping people understand how they think and how they view the world helps them become more effective. So that's really, um, you know, we say it's communications, but it's really relationships. It's having relationships and then it's dealing with identity because identity is the single most important factor because who you think you are and how you view the world and the things that you believe color the way that you perceive information and then send information. And that's really communications. So, you know, I know you're a big fan of Chris Voss um, and he's doing it obviously on a super high level and he's really helping people learn to communicate, to relate with each other. And that, um, you know, that would be a similar vein to what we do, but I think that we're a little bit more um, identity-based, helping people understand the intra-personal side, which is how they view themselves. And that really does color and filter through all of communications. Yeah, and, and it's so much more. It's funny that like we talk about communications and influence and, and there's all these words the hard part i think that people get caught up in is that when you're inside you have the curse of knowledge you know we go way into like personas and influence and like all this stuff that we we and i say we like you and i are in the system right we were we're worried deep in the matrix we just see code now it's too late where we can't go back to the the real world but you got to remember that as you're you know you see uh, i talk to founders all the time and, and it's the whole thing of you know they're telling their story that they're excited about amongst their founding team. And you're like, okay, now how do we relate it to somebody who wants to actually buy your bloody product? You know, how do you get people to 
get excited about the journey they need to take and how you're the only path to that destination. And, and, and it's, it's very easy for people on the, I totally get influenced side, like the enterprise mm -hmm. sales folks that are like way deep. They're 20 years in, they drive nice cars because they earned them seven startups ago. And then on the other side, you got the pure founders who are like, I've got this amazing thing that I'm super excited about. And then there's this vast middle region where we're missing that. And that's really, I think, where people need to fit in is like, how do you start to relate your story? How do you get that out in and use, like you said, the science of, of psychology that, that, and behavioral psychology that kind of plays out in, in how people take stuff in? Yeah. And, you know, Eric, I think when I was joking around saying him and Han about communications, really, Einstein said, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it. And so everything we try to do, and I try to do, when I say we, I mean me and my wife, because we're partners um, together. Um, but everything we try to do is make it simple. And so simplify the communication so people can understand it. And, you know, one of the things you say, so um, one of the things that you said was, how do we convince people that we're the only path? And if we were working together, I wouldn't try and do that because you're not the only path. I'm not the only path when it comes to having a great product. And so what we try to do is help people even understand their corporate identity of don't sell something that you're not great at. Don't try to give anything to anyone that's not authentic. So authenticity is a huge piece of the communications process. So like, you know, like uh, I know you're a huge reader, you know, the Seth Godin book, The Purple Cow. Yeah, yeah. The Godin so, Library is one that sits on the <laughs> shelf and gets uh, read and reread quite often. He's quite a, uh, he's, a, he's good at that. Yeah, making it relatable for sure. Yeah, so he's making it simple. And, you know, the title of his book, The Purple Cow, says it of you don't have to market a product that's unique. And because we're all made individually and we're all created uniquely, you don't have to try to sell someone down the river on it. You have to be authentic. And when you find that authenticity, then you're original. And so whether that's from the individual or that's from the corporation, it's almost like Michelangelo cutting away the excess until you reveal what the true statue is or you re reveal the true piece of art. And so that's where I think you know, communications, like you said, it's influence, it's persuasion, it's all this stuff. I think what you're talking about there is manipulation where how do I- <laughs> Or sales, <laughs> AKA, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I want to I want to be able to know the skills to take advantage of you, so that I can sell you what I want to sell you, and fundamentally that's wrong. It's not moral, it's not ethic, and it doesn't really work because of the internet now. So, what you, if you go back to the basics of loving other people, treating other people how they want to be treated, right? Well, then I'm not just selfishly thinking what's in my best interest, but what's in your best interest. And then we have a relationship. And based out of that relationship, I can become a trusted advisor. I can become someone that you can authentically rely on to give you um, 
a quality product worth value where you'd want to come back. Cause you know it. I mean, we've been in the tech world, walk down the walk down any event and they're going, no, we truly, truly give you good customer service. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> so. Yeah. I had yeah. a, uh, I had a great uh, car salesman, uh, Yafir. I'll remember his name forever because he convinced me exactly what I knew I was getting lied to about, right? That he was my, my best friend. He wanted to know my mm. kids ages and, and what kind of fun stuff we do. We went through the whole thing. He carts me around. We show the car, we come back. It's like three days in a row of going back in. And Yafir was my best friend. Yafir was my buddy. And he was the one he's like, Eric, let me tell you, it won't be more than just today, right? This is, we are, you know, this is an experience. This is a, uh, this, we're building this together, right? And then we go through and it says, and you need anything for that car, you know, after you buy it, it's like, you know, whatever, we'll make sure we, we take care of you. And then when I wrote the, the check and I dropped in my first deposit, and I came back three days later and Yafir looked at me like I was, uh, hello, how are you today, sir? And I'm like, Yafir, you're my buddy. I'm coming back for my deal. I'm coming back for my, my, my discount on the car match. He's like, oh, sorry, what did, did you buy a car? I'm like, God damn it, Yafir, <laughs> we were friends. And then I said, yeah, well, no, he's like, oh, yes, yes, of course, of course. Like, I know he's just got a lot going on. And then I said, you know, so you said we could you know, kind of cook up a deal for this thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, unfortunately, there's no discounts on like, and I was like, of course, this was the pad to make the, the first deal look good. And, you know, I knew it was coming, but I was hurt at the same time that it did. Yeah, it was such a weird mm -hmm. thing. And that was the, it was very inauthentic. And that's why we kind of joke about used car salesmen is this persona of this awful individual who will sell you a lemon and, mm. you know, and then as soon as you drive it off the lot and the wheels fall off and he's like, hey, you know, if you need another one to replace that old crappy car, I've got one over here on the back lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny you're saying that because um, it's bad business. Right. right. And people will say, oh, it's just business. Well, it's bad business. And that's where there's a difference between growth and sustainable growth. So he got yeah, you, you can, once. You can right? cut a lot of that's why they cut. Well, it becomes the thing of as why even venture capitalists, they measure in, in sense of customer lifetime value, not the size of the PO, because if I get a whole lot of one million dollar POs, instead of a customer that has a $7 million CLTV over five years, big difference, right? Because there's other ones, if you stop selling, you stop cutting POs. If you nurture a relationship, you have a lifetime, you know, recurring revenue kind of stream. Yeah, and I think that's the key, it's nurture, yeah. right? Because all, whether it's business or it's personal, it's all relationships. And so people really right now, they need to know the world is in flux. Obviously, you're talking about the pandemic, but people are scared and people are, are, they need to know who they can trust and they don't know. And they're looking for that. And so, you know, I always say that, you know, talent is easy, but character is rare. And so when I'm looking to work with people, it's what's their character and it's long-term relationships. You know, I know we actually met at a business event, but really um, it's become a friendship and not based on 
what can you do for me? What can I get out of you? How can I manipulate you? It's going, no, who are you? And then as our friendship grows, we'll do more and more work together, but it's not driving the work. You understand what I'm saying? It's actually, and that's, that's part of the communication process. You're asking about um, the company and our whole thing is not to use people, but now go to a networking event. And so when I've done trainings for, I call it the new way of networking, but it's not new, it's old, right? And I, at the very beginning of the training, I'll say, okay, well, I want you to write down on a piece of paper, it's a networking event. How many people do you, sorry, I just had a a cut in. How many people do you want to network with today? And how many people do you have to network with to be successful? And, you know, you get crazy numbers, like... (laughs) <laughs> network with like a hundred people. And if I get 15, it's going to be successful. And really what I'm trying to teach people there is to get in touch with what they actually think and feel and believe. Because if I send you a spam bomb of email, you're not going to open it. But if I send you a, a handwritten letter that I've taken time and put a lumpy mailer in it, where there's a gift, you're probably going to open it. Right. Um, and those are things of making people feel cared about. So it's a little bit of a a tangent and a little bit of a rant, but those are concepts of it's good business because it's not just business. It is personal. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because we, we go deeper than most on why it works and understanding the science behind it but still having the authenticity to use it in a way that's meaningful, right? So it's mm-hmm. a, like, so, you know, we learned through reading, you know, it goes back to Kahneman and Tversky and the craziness of like prospect theory and all that stuff like that. It's all these heuristics that we've learned about how people behave. There's, you can understand it. You can practice those sort of techniques, but you have to have the authenticity inside of it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I could probably, I could increase my conversion rates on whatever if I use these, I could learn, you know, new subject lines that will get people to open the email. And then I could, mm-hmm. you know, create the right button that will get them to have the call to action. And you become like, there's a science of and data that's behind it. But inside it, like you say, I think the important thing is, I'm not just selling you a widget that I don't care about. I'm selling you, a, I'm building a relationship that I really do you know, we all need to, we need to cut those POs. We need to do that stuff like in business, but we need to do it. We're matching the capabilities of science, teaching people how mm-hmm. to use that and unlock the realness of what they have to bring to the world. Yeah. Well, and also it's funny, you said something when you were giving the used car salesman example, um, and you were saying, I knew he was selling me, right? Yeah. But probably your emotions and your ego liked the way he was making you feel. So that's an emotional concept. And you made a bad logical choice based on, you made an emotional choice first. But it's funny because there's there are these principles and techniques. And um, there's a guy named John Strasberg who I learned a lot of um, stuff about human behavior from. And he had a saying, and his saying was, it's amazing how much energy we spend trying not to know what we know. 
And it's like on some level, you knew you were getting taken advantage of, but you participated in it anyways. And so when you start to really get in touch with what you know is true, with truth, when you get in touch with that, you're not as easily taken advantage of, right? Because you're not going, I just want it to be true, yeah, right? Yeah. It, so it's it's actually a safeguard. Um but those are the techniques that are very, very simple, right? So nothing that I'm teaching is necessarily complex, but it is deep. Um, and there's a number of, of these principles that, you know, uh, one that I like to say is when people show you who they are, believe them, right? And yeah. those are simple principles that safeguard you in business, from not being manipulated, which brings me to another subject, but it's funny because it kind of comes up. Um, I have a, a new show called Virtual Magic and Mind Games, which is the Zoom show that we've been talking about where I do this for SKOs, um, digital SKOs. We do it for entertaining, um, you know, like sort of larger clients. But the reason I bring it up is because the exact principles of communication that I'm using in magic to manipulate people to give them that wow moment, because that's what I'm doing. I'm manipulating them yeah. so that they get this experience of like, what, how did he do that? Those are the same exact tools and skill sets that I'm using in communications to build long-term relationships where I'm not just looking out for myself. I'm looking out for what's in their best interest, right? Cause that is what a good partner is and that's what we need to be not salesmen but partners right yeah it's the we throw around the trusted advisor word and there's nothing there's two things that drive me insane uh which is the phrases that get used because they're great buzzwords and they've been successful in organizations right customer centricity and trusted advisor so most trusted advisors are not trusted advisors and most people are customer centric. We, I even struggled this internally in my own company at first, you know, a long time ago, someone just, somebody picked up the Amazon book, right. And, and then read it. And then it's just like when people read the Apple book and they start wearing sweat, you know, turtlenecks for some reason, <laughs> they think it'll make them a better founder. But the, but what happened was suddenly there was this sort of over rotation to like, we're going to be customer centric. And so what we need to do is we need to find customers who really love us. And I was like, that's not customer centric at all. <laughs> that's actually the opposite <laughs> of customer. No, you want, yeah. I don't want to, that's completely the, that's, it's like, it's like if you're with somebody, you know, if you're, if you're with your wife, partner, you know, spouse, whatever. And you say like, you know, you're like, that was, you know, that was great. And they say, I know it wasn't. You're like, yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, no, no. Like that was a great date. And they're like, well, I, I could have had more fun. Like, no, you couldn't. You know, like that's, that's not customer centricity. That's me building this veil of centricity of their experience, but just completely bypassing it. And then the trusted advisor is that we love the catchphrase and it becomes the thing they say, we want to be your trusted advisor. Like you fear, your fear is not my trusted advisor uh, at all. Uh, <laughs> once, once the check was written and cashed, uh, then I was moved back somewhere below trusted advisor status. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it's funny you're saying customer centric, and I was thinking that's you know that's like me buying my wife a toolkit for the garage for Christmas. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not exactly. necessarily customer centric, um, and it's a real shame. You know, I see that all the time. When I first started the company, I had uh, someone that I really respect say, you know, people are looking for communication skills with honesty and integrity. And I thought, man, what is this guy talking about? He's just wrong because they don't want honesty and integrity. They want the bottom line. They want money. They want to sell. And what I found is that he's absolutely right, that the people that sell the most are the people that really can be trusted. And what companies need the most is the honesty and integrity. And it's funny because all of our our civilization is built on these principles and they're very, very simple. And if you use them, you actually, you might take a little bit longer to get there, but the potential for growth is much larger. You have a foundation now that you can build from. And, um, you know, the hard part is just getting people to buy in because it's a, it's a right now society. It's a convenient society. And I understand how businesses, how, how people run their businesses, how they think that it should be run. But it's not the most effective way. And the faster you try and go, the more skip the steps you skip. Yeah, the, the thing that I've, I've seen in, in practice and, and I used it in my own thing. And I even did, like, I, I, I wrote a little small, like it's like a 40, 50-page book on getting people, coaching them through how to do good, effective demos. Really, it's called the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. It's like just one of the, it's like a, I used all the techniques to make it like a one-page funnel. It works. It's actually people buy it and they actually, I'm getting good feedback because I genuinely believe in the concepts that are inside it. And I, I did an audio book of it and I do a course to go along with it. And it's neat because I taught stuff that, I've watched other people not do <laughs> and mm. like, just you get the thing like, Oh, let me get to the next part of the demo. And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the guy, they ask a question, <laughs> just ditch the demo, ditch the PowerPoint, ditch the, whatever you're in a relationship mm. building experience now. Yeah. And there was one, I, I remember this still fondly. We had somebody who was a, like the, the concept of our company was, is that automation is the, is the only way to succeed, right? Like we have to believe that we do, it actually really works, but most people are not vastly automating their environments. And so we'd end up with like, we're moving them towards it, but it's a journey. It's a, you know, it takes a while to adopt and, and it's cool, but when it works, but there's other stuff that can't be automated. And what we get caught up in is that we have to say, that automation, automation is the success factor and that not automating is the way of the dinosaur. But there's so much stuff that actually can't be automated. You've got to listen and say, it's okay. But a lot of times our sales folks will get caught up in like, oh, you're doing this other thing where you're just looking at stuff that's, that's useless. And you're like, well, no, it's, it, it's the only way to do it. I'm going to automate the stuff I can. And I would hear people getting caught up on the, the trigger words of like, manual you're like that's bad you're like no 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 no. and so people go through these demos and they go through these meetings and somebody just came off of a high severity their whole company was down like their whole front-facing website was down mm. 
and we are anti-monitoring because monitoring is bad, right? Because monitoring doesn't solve problems. Automation does. And the, the sales rep was just like in the, in the script mode. And I get on the call and they're like, Hey, so, you know, as we remember from our last call, and the guy might have been automated. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the guy gets on the call like eight minutes late and it's, and it was fine. And, and he says, Hey, really sorry. Just came off a Sev one, you know, issue. And I was like, Oh, I remember those days. You know, I, I, I lived that life of doing it in a data center for a couple of decades and many, many late nights and, and weird days. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all cool. And then the sales rep gets on and, and she says, well, anyways, from our last meeting, you talked about how basically monitoring is not going to solve your problems. And I was like, my eyes went wide. We weren't on Zoom on video. And I was just like, hold on to your hats, kids. I literally grabbed the armchair and, uh, and this guy blew, <laughs> rightfully blew up. He's like, do you understand that if I hadn't monitored my environment, our company would be offline completely. It's the only thing that saved me. Like I lived 45 people that are only reason they're still employed right now from an hour ago is because we were monitoring and it was like Whew. so i had to talk this poor fellow off the ledge and like kind of rescue <laughs> this thing but what happened at the end of the hour because i just traded stories with him and listened to what he was talking about and just let him vent it out mm. he's like oh hey uh you ever have a problem with this thing like he asked me like a weird thing that's nothing to do with what my company does and then we talked for another hour and he's like, this was really helpful. Can we like grab some time tomorrow? And then the next mm -hmm. day we, we met for an hour, which went for two hours and it was like trading stories and just building a relationship. And then, you know, two weeks later, we're all of a sudden in front of his CIO and moving a successful deal through. And it wasn't that I did it. It wasn't that the thing that the rep did could have actually blown the whole thing up, but it was like taking the time, slowing down the process, listening to the customer, actually mm -hmm. giving a crap about what this fellow said. Like, cause we, I was genuinely slowing down to listen and it mm -hmm. worked, you know? And then yeah. in the, in the end it was like, so I, I see reps all the time and I learn from them every day mm -hmm. of like watching this success and you watch these people and you know, the young guns will come in. They're like, all right, they're firing. They're ready to go. But mm. then I look at, you know, I mean, and you, you taught me so much of this stuff too, right? It's just like, it reaffirms how these things work is that if you actually listen, mm -hmm. and I'm a guy that like technically talks for a living, but I actually <laughs> do far more listening than I do talking. And mm. when the mic's off and when we're not at the show doing stuff, yeah. I just, I sit in on calls and I listen in and I say, I introduce myself at the start and I say, thank you at the end, <laughs> nothing in between. Cause I just want to hear, hear how it works, how the flow goes and then mm -hmm. tell people I'm like, Hey, you may not have noticed, but like 45 mm -hmm. minutes in, they said something. Yeah. And you totally just blew right by it. Like, so let's Re let's get a call with this fellow and ask him again, like, Hey, you mentioned on this, you know, it's like a little, it seems like a throwaway line. And I tell people all the time, it's like those throwaways are the, the things that are actually going to move the relationship further. Cause they, mm -hmm. they think it's a throwaway, even the, the way they say it, but then you, you pick it up and you're like, Oh, Oh, wow. It's interesting that you said that, you know? And Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. Thanks. <laughs> well, it's funny because, um, there's a part in the Bible where it says, as the heart overflows, the mouth speaks. 
So if you have patience and a willingness to listen, you can actually hear exactly where people are at. And then as you test the words that they say, you start to be able to fix these communication problems. And so it's funny because I was listening to what you said just a couple minutes ago. And one of the keys that you said was that the company that you work for believes that everything has to be automated for it to be successful. And the key word in that sentence for me is success, because how are you defining success? Whereas if I were to look at that, what I'd say is everything has to be automated to be scalable, not to be successful. Right. Yeah. 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 And that difference is the difference between the guy blowing up when the sales rep gets on and says her what she thinks she needs to say. And then the communication techniques necessary to find out where she's at before she speaks. Because from a sales perspective, the best thing you can do is listen. And then you don't sell them. Obviously, this is this should be sales 101. And I'll give you a story, which is kind of interesting. But you don't try to sell people what you want to sell them. You try to help them and give value and solve a problem to them. And then you're not selling anything. You're just in business with them because you can solve them, solve them. I was, um, I was actually, there was a, uh, I've created this program called 60 days to mastering engagement. And in it, it's basically a crash course in communication techniques, everything from rapport to body language, to verbals to nonverbals. I was doing research. And so I called one of the, uh, one of the big sales companies to, I wanted to, I was pricing out what a similar program would, there is no similar program because what I'm doing is unique, but I wanted to see what their pricing structure would be. So I called them and this guy, just a young gun, right? And he just went on and on and on and on and on and on and on on his script. And after about six minutes of talking, he said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a communications guy. I help companies solve communications problems. And he said, oh, well, what do you think of my presentation? And so I said, well, I thought it was energetic and it was good. Obviously, you're a go-getter, you're a hard worker. I said, but you haven't asked me any questions, so you don't know anything about me, so you don't really know what to sell to me. So maybe if you ask me some questions and listened, and he said, oh, that's great. And then he went on another six-minute tirade. <laughs> <laughs> Which means he essentially listened to nothing I said and went straight back into the pitch. And so it's like the effort is good. But I think the way that we're training people, because we want to scale the business, because we want more profits, is actually putting the cart before the horse. And so like you're saying, you actually got in front of the CIO just because you had a different skill set and developing that skill set is now super important because we're we're supposed to talk about the digital SKOs yeah yeah but these um, skill sets are more necessary now because you don't have in-person meetings and the closer you are if you have in-person meetings obviously you pick up more information than if you're relegated to zoom or teams or whatever um, but if you have 
just a phone call and not even Zoom, you have less information. So you have to be able to pick up on just the verbal side of what people are saying, verbal filler, hymns and haws. And if you have just email, that's even less. And if you have just text messages, that's even less. So that is part of the whole communications process of if you are knowing what medium you're communicating through and then what's the most effective way. So. And it's, it's, this is what's great. I, I, we should just do a podcast together all the time. Cause I feel like I'm, 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 I'm getting podcasted as much as I'm podcasting when I'm talking with you <laughs> and you actually <laughs> led me to the real, uh, the trigger, which why I really wanted to get you on because I know I'm heading into a next year of, you know, there will be no in-person events inevitably, or, you know, they won't at all be the same. And if they are, they'll be later in the year. Most importantly, it's kickoff season. So folks are in sales organizations and startups and, and any large, you know, any large sales organization. The start of the year is kickoff season. It's, it's when everybody gets together January, February, March, and it's going to be the, the Cisco's, the IBM's, the Microsoft's, the world. They get this all company event. And normally you go and you, they book out the Boston Gardens or the whatever arena or the whatever hotel. And they all get together and they have breakout rooms and they have keynotes and they have all the stuff and they have fireside chats, which make me want to punch a spoon <laughs> in my ear. Uh, I hate fireside chats. Did I mention that? Most importantly, though, that's gone. And the purpose and value of a sales kickoff event or a company kickoff event is not what happens in the six hours of curated content that you're sitting in the chair staring at the people on stage for, not just because it's a fireside chat and it's useless, but because what actually happens for the other 18 hours, tried to do math in my head for six before, so the day, which if you're at a sales kickoff, they use almost all 18 hours. <laughs> There's no sleep. That's where the real collaboration happens. That's where the real team building begins. It's the goofy, you know, like, you know, fun in-person event stuff we do. It's, it's having, it's the, the conversation that happens across a loud table over dinner. It's the sharing stories of the year that excite you about what's ahead. It's not the curated content. So when we try to go digital, which I've watched company event after company event after digital event, completely blow it as far as how to translate to a digital medium, but retain a collaborative experience. So this is why I thought you are, you are my guru when it comes to this. How do we do it right? As we look at hundreds, potentially thousands of people on these now, like a Zoom call or a, a whatever, you know, platform it's going to be, you know, it's, it's how do we do it right? Because yeah. if we do it like we've done for the past four months, and I say we as an industry, I, I've, trans, I've changed the way that I do it at my company. And we've been incredibly successful because I approach it a different way. But it's not a not at thousands scale. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, you work at thousands scale, and you've been able to do it successfully. So how yeah. do we how do we not screw this up? <laughs> you know, how do we actually make <laughs> a digital event worthwhile and meaningful? Well, 
So a couple things. One, thanks for the compliment, but I'm no one's guru. To quote <laughs> Tony Robbins. <That's> right. <laughs> um, but you can solve it in one word. And the word is personal. If you make it personal, it will resonate. And that takes time to understand who's coming, what's on their radar, what's important to them, and then give them value. So everything goes back to simplicity. You want to keep it simple and you want to keep it personal. And I think that's what you've been doing. And so, for example, I know some of the um, virtual events that you've been hosting you're starting off with an engagement in a different way of giving them incentive to stay on the virtual event. That's personal because in order to incentivize something, you have to know what someone wants. Knowing what they want is knowing who they are. And so the, we've been talking about it already. The whole time we've been on this conversation, it's been about relationships. How are you relating? So instead of doing it to thousands, it's knowing what is that niche, it, you know, go back to Godin, like tribes or niches, yeah, yeah, right? And he's talking about, well, who are you talking to? What's on the radar? What's important to them? So I think that these things are can be quite simple and they're very easy to do poorly because it's, I found over the years that people don't want something excellent. They want something mediocre so that they can cover their tail. So that they can, <laughs> they kind of like having the out. <laughs> if it goes really bad, well, I just want to be able to blame it on the next guy. Right. And so to do something really out of the box, which that phrase is overused. Um, it's funny, I had a dream a couple of days ago with a box cutter in it. <laughs> I, I handed a box of tools. <laughs> and it was like, I was actually handed a box cutter and it was like, you know how to use this. And I think that that's really important because it's going, no, we got to get out of the way of doing things in the past and move forward into realizing that times have changed and the way that you used to do it doesn't work. It's not effective. And, you know, um, when you're talking about magic, you're talking about misdirection, which is another fancy way of controlling someone's attention or attention management. And I, in 60 Days of Mastering Engagement, I have a full session, like a whole course on attention management. People only have an eight second attention span. So if I lose your attention, Within eight seconds, you've gone on to something else. Yeah, sorry, you, you lost me there. What was <laughs> I had a dream about a box cutter, and I'm coming to your house, Eric. <laughs> uh, no, but that's that's the point where it's going, yeah, you only got eight seconds. And if you waste that eight seconds, they're gone, right? And I, I jokingly said, I'm coming to your house with a box cutter, but that's something that people look for is safety and security. Yeah. And that's what they've been looking for. And so it's understanding these human behavioral triggers, making it safe. Someone doesn't want to sit through 45 minutes of content, let alone six hours of content, if there's nothing in it for them. It's not safe. It's not a good use of their time. You so think those, yeah, those things are key. Now, uh, having the techniques that I've used again you know i i say we we probably have the same teachers in a lot of way like you and i've talked we we've used to sort of a lot of the sources 
uh, I've discovered a ton of stuff since knowing you and, and it helps quite often to reaffirm thing. And we, one of the things that they talk about is uh, they call it the attention hammock. It's how most like webinars and things go where it's like, we, you know, Hey, we're doing a thing. Oh, it's really cool. Okay. Let's get into the presentation. Now, as you can see on the presentation, <laughs> going through, and it's like 20 minutes of that and like, okay, let's take a look at a demo. Okay, see so like a little boop. Uh, okay, now we can see what, what you're seeing here is going through. And it, so my rule of thumb is that when you're done a, a web event with me, whether it's three hours or one hour, you're gonna need a cigarette at the end. Like you're gonna be wiped out because it's gonna be fantastically fun. Like you're gonna be fully engaged the whole time because I've learned how to increase the cadence, bring it down to give them a break, catch the, interact with the audience. Like it's literally, even when you do podcasting, what taught me to be a good podcaster was listening to radio people who mm. they literally are sitting in a studio talking into a microphone, sometimes alone, but they're talking to a, a number. Could be mm -hmm. a million people. So, that, but they, there's no, there's no reaction. There's no engagement. So they've had to learn how to present as if there's a million people listening and watching. And so what I've taken to the way that I do the events and digital engagements and in-person stuff is the same thing. If I'm standing in front of a couple of thousand people, which I've been lucky enough to be able to do, which is crazy fun, whether it's 10 people or a web screen, even with no video, I still treat it the same way. Mm. And I've done it where literally I recorded a webinar that wasn't even gonna be live, but you can, there's techniques you can do like, all right, let's check the chat. So pop in in the chat, uh, anybody who's listening right now, because I'd love to see like, what's your, what's your title? I'm always curious, like, what are people's titles? Cause it's fun. And I remember I had like goofy titles throughout my career and whatever. And see, so I'm talking to people that aren't even real at the time that it's going out. And then mm. what'll happen is while the, the people are watching the live chat, they're all like, boop, 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 boop. like all these people are chatting with a version of me that isn't even there. But by actually creating a conversation more than a presentation mm -hmm. and like soliciting feedback, pausing to take it in, celebrating when it happens, like, oh, that's a really, really good thing that just came in. I like that. It's one of my, I, I've seen that title before, or I remember, you know, working with that stuff. Like everybody's like immediately going into the chat. They're doing things like they, they, they pause, they listen, they look at the screen a little differently. Like there's real engagement that I think mm -hmm. that we're missing. So anyways, that, that's, I found those techniques to be successful and it's worked out and the numbers have proven it. But I do it mm -hmm. just because it, I think of what I want because I attend way too many of these goofy things. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> man, I wish this person was more engaging. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing it, you are, you are amazing at this. And like I said, I just, I, I'm enthralled when I get to watch you work, you know, whether that a show or, or digitally, what does work? Cause I'm just using it. I'm like, it's like guerrilla marketing for me. I just say, I tried a bunch of things and it worked out. And I, so I've honed down the stuff that works and tried to make it a program, mm -hmm. but you've come at it. You come at a lot of the stuff cause you've studied the stuff. You've had a lifetime of building these techniques. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny just listening to you because when you're talking about um, 
when you're talking about watching the feed pop up and what you're really doing is steering people's attention. It's attention management. And you're going, Oh, wow, that's a great comment. What you're doing magic, essentially. You're, you know, there's a rule in magic that the audience looks where the magician looks. And that's the same principle that you're using, but you're putting it on the digital medium where you're going, Oh, wow. Whoa, good comment. And yeah. people are going, oh, what's he looking at? I'm going to go over there. Whatever you do, that. don't look out the left side of the, the bus, kids. <laughs> as, they, as everybody piles to the left side of the bus. Don't think, what's the old thing? Like, don't, whatever you do, don't think of a white polar bear, right? Like, just like goofy stuff like that. <laughs> like, God damn it. I just thought of a white polar bear. <laughs> uh, it's true. But, you know, that also, that's another communication technique. People can't process negatives. So if you say to your kid, don't spill the milk, you just told them to spill the milk. Because he has to <laughs> first figure out what spilling the milk is, and then he has to go, don't do that. And by that time, the milk is spilled, right? Um, so uh, yeah, there are, there are those communication techniques. Really, when you say it, the word that comes to me is caring. You have to care about other people because you said, look, I'm just doing what I want done to me, which is the whole principle. So you figured out what you want done and then you went and made it engaging, right? There's a famous casting director. Her name was Mally Finn. And, um, and I think we talked about this on the first podcast, but I went in um, for that, uh, an audition for that movie, Eight Mile, that they gave to Eminem. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> I, got my, I got my hoodie on right now. <laughs> um, but she said something and she said, don't be interesting. Be interested. And the camera will love you. And that's the difference where the camera will come to you or people will come to you if you're actually interested in who they are. They want to know that you care. And that is integrity and authenticity. So all these programs come together. So I have something I call meal AB, which is mirroring empathy, authenticity, laughter, and listening, right? And then the, the B is baselining. Um, but those things, those concepts are what people need to feel safe. The very first human behavior that people, you need to tick the box of safety and security. If you can tick that box, then people will give you a little bit of time to see what you have to offer them. Um, so I say that because those are the keys to making a great digital event, that you have to care about the audience, care about what's on the radar. And then, like you said, stop trying to be like the attention hammock. Whee! This is all fun. That's great. Like fun is super important. You got to make it fun. And everything I do is probably way more fun than the boring stuff that people have done before. Um, but it has to have value, right? I think that that was sort of the magic sauce of at the, at the trade shows, that it was super fun. And then it was super rich in value and content. It was striking yeah. at what people were actually at the show to find. So... Basically, the fun factor takes down the fences, and then the value comes in after. Yeah, it's uh, so that when we look at 
you know, when you're, when you're looking at a company, you know, an event leader, you know, somebody who's saying, I've got to move my 4,000 person sales kickoff, which is normally four days. It's normally in Vegas. I, I need to move it to Zoom, you know, or like I, I say Zoom because it's become sort of synonymous, but, you know, move to an online platform. Mm-hmm. What's, what are some of the things you want people to know? Like what you tell them, if you want this to be successful and you want this to engage your people and excite them about the year ahead and really build collaboration amongst them, what are some ways in which they can do that in a digital medium? Sure. Well, it's twofold. One, it's what we were talking about before. Two, I think it's setting realistic expectations of if you hired me to come in and do the event for you, which I'm doing, where you're hiring me as a consultant and I'm coming in and helping you put the event together, you have a shot. And I say that because if you don't have the experience that I have, you're not going to learn the skills overnight. And I think that's why so many companies are struggling because they don't have the communication skills. They don't have the attention management skills and they don't know what to do. So um, I'll come back to the question in a second, but I think that's why people use PowerPoint. PowerPoint is death. And the reason... (laughs) The reason people use PowerPoint is because they don't know how to visually illustrate things in a different way. And so PowerPoint's the standard, the industry standard. So you look professional and you bore people to death, Um, which you don't have to. There's other options, but if you don't spend your time doing some of this stuff, you're not going to know what the options are. Now, obviously, there's other people in the world. I'm not the only path. There's other people in the world that have skills, but you have to be willing to take a risk. And this comes down to what we're talking about, identity. So if you're, it's funny, I was working for a company earlier this year. We created this awesome virtual event. And the person I was working with was so psyched about it, like super hyped. And as it went up the food chain, they kept going, well, we don't want to do that. Well, we don't want to do that. Well, we don't want to do that. So they paid me an enormous amount of money. And at the end, they ended up with the same event they started with. And I, you know, I didn't really have much power uh, because it's not my company. All I'm doing is consulting. But I did say to the person I was working with, you realize we're having the same event that you had before and the person said, you don't know how many F-bombs I've dropped in the process <laughs> trying, to save, <laughs> trying to save it. But, um, but that's all part of, you know, Steve Jobs' turtleneck was not about the turtleneck. It was about him being him. And he right. was willing to take the risk. And that's something I, I don't think the tech world. Yeah, there's more um, willingness to risk things. But people crave safety. So they don't want to deviate from that safety. So, you know, on a very simple way of answering your question, one, they have to be able to take a risk. And two, they have to, you know, taking a risk is not jumping out of the boat thinking you're going to walk on the water. That's stupidity. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, 
And so I'd say really in the long term, you have to invest in learning communication skills. And in the short term, find someone like yourself or find someone like me that is doing it and has done it and has done it successfully. And we can help you because, you know, to hire you or me, the investment is minimal compared to putting on a 4,000 person event where you have to, you know, do that SKO in, in a digital environment. Yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? No, it did. And, and I think that's what's interesting too, is that we as companies, like, and, and again, I use we, cause I'm uh, you know, the world as companies really have a different expectation of their employees than they do of their customers or prospective customers. I don't like saying the word mm -hmm. prospects. So I say the long form prospective customer, but what they're going to do. So if I hold a webinar and I get a thousand registrations and 400 show up, I'm going to run it the way I run it. And I'm probably not going to move too far from that program because I've got, a, it works, right? It's good enough. It's, it's getting me what I want. Now, are you talking as the CEO or are you talking as Eric? Because yeah, I talk, I'll talk it as, as a CEO. You're right. They're like, if any marketing organization, they run a webinar, they get that many registrations, that many attendees, it, the, sure. the funnel converts down and, and it works out, it will generate pipeline, right? So that's, so they'll see that as successful. They're not going to move too far because they can't ask more of more than a thousand people who registered. Like the best they can do is email more. They can do other things, right? You can hope because you're betting that the techniques you're going to use are going to get people to come in and you're, you're lucky if they're there and they have a sense, like no one feels the obligation that of uh, like that. There's no forcing obligation on the customer to attend. You do things that they hope that they will attend. So we use techniques to build that. But if I have a thousand employees and I don't get a thousand people to show up to my kickoff digitally, I feel like it's their fault. Right. Like, so that when you're thinking of a company kickoff versus an amazing digital community event, like mm -hmm. sales generating pipeline generating event, it's different. Mm -hmm. So what I, what kind of what you just described with that person, that's like, it's interesting, but we're going to kind of go with what we know. Mm -hmm. I worry that people are going to head into February. Like you said, they're going to have big ideas. We're going to change the way we do this. We're going to hire the right people. We're going to get a consultant. We're going to read a book. We're going to learn from the people that have done this well. No one has done it well. No one's done a digital sales kickoff, company kickoff successfully yet because we haven't had to. Mm -hmm. And we, what I feel we're going to fail is that those CEOs, those leaders are going to say they have to come because it's company kickoff. And they're going to fail to do the right thing because they have a belief that there's an obligation for people to be there. But obligation doesn't generate a good event. Mm -hmm. And even worse, it's more likely to create a bad event because of the sense of belief that people have to be there. Mm -hmm. Well, and it ties into sales, right? Because I go on safety, safety, safety. But then the second part of it's autonomy people have a desire to maintain freedom. And so when you press your thumb on them and put an expectation on them, you're taking away some of that freedom. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's, um, you know, the big thing too, Eric, is that all communication is contextual. 
So there's a time for everything, right? And and I just think that it's um, the other word that comes up is humility. And I keep using these terms, but humility is the willingness to learn. It's actually, humility is actually being in right relationship with other people. And as leaders, I want to serve you. I don't want to reign over you. And I think that the whole corporate structure actually has it backwards. Now, I'm not saying every leader in corporate America is that way, but most people want to get to power so that they can rule over others and have them do all the work. Right. Now, I think that that's actually another recipe for disaster, which is why there's no accountability. And so I think that if we start to change the structure from top up, to bottom up and we really started to lead from the bottom up then you start to listen to what do people want right let's say i had a company let's say i had a company of 30 people and i was going to do a, i did a, a sko last year for um there's a national sales team i think it was probably 10 people right um, which is very this now this is very interesting story because this is a software company I won't say their name but the whole time the director the national director of sales just wanted me wanted me wanted me wanted me <laughs> and their CEO was intimidated by me because I don't really pull punches if I see something's wrong my job's to correct it and this person didn't really like me <laughs> not afraid to you know, push through and, and show the warts, right? Well, and you know what? It's it's not a, it wasn't a matter of that I knew better. It's not a matter of um, you know, I'm so smart and he's not. It was a matter of humility of I have experience in this area. I have literally almost 40 years of experience of managing people's attention. And he doesn't. And he doesn't to the level that I have it. So long story short, they did an SKO. And um, he was the, he attended the whole weekend, except for my session. He left. <laughs> oh, man. He, he left and went home. And um, in that session, the sales staff went from, literally begging not to have to go to trade shows to the director of sales after two hours, this is only a two hour session. After two hours, the director of sales actually made them all write papers as to why they should be the ones getting to attend. And they all <laughs> wrote, wrote these papers. And um, so I ended up at another event with them and they, I think they did 10 X on their sales. So they went from like a 150 leads to like, I don't know, it was well over a thousand. I'm not sure. Um, but, but the point was humility of, I went in and I didn't tell them what they should be doing. I went in and listened to them. I found out what incentivized them in real time and then gave them exactly what they needed to hear. Um, so I think that it, it, it's a thing of, it's very simple but it really takes character. And I think that that's really, I'm not saying that people don't have character because there's lots of people that have character. I'm just saying it's rare because the bottom line is what drives a lot of people. 
I want to scale it. I want to make it important. And and I'm not negligent about the business side of it, that sometimes you have to scale things and scaling is not bad. I'm just saying it has to be combined with it being personal or you lose your audience. And so that's the trick when it comes to digital SKO. How do you scale it? And how do you make it personal at the same time? And the last thing, it's push marketing versus pull marketing. And you're talking about um, it can, it's going to be a very bad, it, it could be a very bad turnout because why? Because the CEO is push marketing it because you're expected to be here versus pull marketing, which very simply, you can turn that around, yeah. give them a little incentive, and they would be excited to be at that same SKO. And it's, it's funny that it's very personality based in the people in the organization. And it's, 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 I've seen this more and more that, you know, there are, there's actually somebody who had on, and, and I mean, I have, I've at this point got 150 plus podcasts that I've done far more than I ever thought I would be able to pull off. <laughs> and you can see the way that even these go that that's why I use video, even though like I'm starting to move, I'm going to start doing more video, but I need to set up a legitimate background, you know, and, and make it look a little nicer, but just doing it over video way easier to engage versus whatever. And there was one where I did, where I, I, uh, there was the person I was talking to and he said, he goes, just so you know, I don't like to talk. I'm like, perfect. You're, you're the perfect <laughs> podcast guest. This is going to be great. <laughs> he's like, He's like, I just, I like to use as few words as possible. I'm like, no problem. 45 minutes into talking with this dude, he was telling me like four minute stories. Like he was all in because I could get him involved. It was kind of neat. He almost like was, it was all like a challenge of like, I would ask him a question. He would just say like, yes, that's, that's true. Okay, perfect. Anyway, so the next question, <laughs> like, and like it took me a while to warm him up and get him going. But then there was another one who I thought I, I read this person's bio and I went through this whole thing. I'm like, this is gonna be fantastic. It's gonna be amazing. This guy sounds really cool. I've seen him speak. And then I, I introduced myself. And it, as we started, I said, okay, so well, it's just an audio podcast. He goes, the moment that I said it was an audio podcast, he shut the camera. He had like a perfect background, like he was all ready to go. But the moment that he didn't think it mattered that he was on video, he shut mm. it off. And I was like, and it, this is like why I think of the, if the CEO doesn't believe hmm. that they need to entice people to be involved in this stuff, like that was that moment where he didn't, he didn't want to be on video because he was not, he felt it was an obligation to be there to do it. Hmm. And he was committed to that until I told him it wasn't, then he immediately tapped out. And it was funny, the conversation you know, I hear it more, probably more than other people would, because I'm trying to steer it. It was like, I was tired at the end of the session, like an hour. I was like, mm. there's sometimes where you're like, you know, I, I'm running out of time and I got so much more to talk about with this person. And then there's other mm. times where you're like, all right, you're looking at your watch going, okay, I'm just going to get 10 more minutes out of this guy. He's got 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> it is... And when I see digital events, this is why I, I brought up for you. Like I just, I want people to listen to the way that you've talked about the importance of doing this. It's like, don't push, mm -hmm. bring people in, make them really give a crap about being there. Mm 
because mm. we're going to do this for well, six hours a day for four days or three days like it's people need we need to make sure that number one they need to care about being there number two keep them there like don't just give them six hours of an agenda give them a flow that matters like attention management through the whole thing that's why mm -hmm. i mean effectively if i could if i could at the start and the end of this i'm gonna tell people like use rory and i know this and i like i'm i'm giving you the commercial that you wouldn't even take yourself mm. because I well thank you, you you won't ask you know to do it i'm going to tell you to do it i'm going to push market you right like i want people to think about why mm. the stuff works and why the way you i've seen you do it has been successful and there's others in the industry like you said that are that are doing you know similar type of stuff um but i know you're very successful at it and, and i respect that you do that well it's funny and just to give people more value before they leave another way is and sorry i hear dog barking um, <laughs> that was that for attention management eh? <laughs> if anyone um, hears the sound of the dog barking. <laughs> you hear the sound of the dog <laughs> it's outside my window <laughs> um, um what I was going to say is to give people more value is tell stories. And you hear marketing people say this all the time of what's the story, what's the story, what's the story. And that's not really understanding how to tell stories. So like you were telling me the story just now of the guy turning his camera off. And what hit me immediately is, did you ask him to turn it back on? No, because at that point I was pissed off at the guy. <laughs> I was just like, whatever, dude, you don't want to be on camera. So be it. I'm like, I, in, in a way, so I'm also the, this is my weird thing. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to like jump right back in on this, but I want the challenge. I, I want it. I'm like, okay, let's do it this way, right? This is your preference. I still think I can make this work. And we did. Actually, it was a good podcast. He, yeah. was a, he, was a, he was a great person, but it was funny. Like, it's immediately, I was like, God damn it. This is going to make it harder. I'm like, mm -hmm. all right. I could have I could have asked him to turn the camera back on because we use our visual cues or whatever. It's helpful. There's a lot of great nonverbal stuff. I could have given him all those reasons, which are real. Mm -hmm. And he might have done it. But I was like, all right, challenge accepted. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> Well, and going back to, and it's funny because you're talking about like me interviewing you, we're interviewing each other, right? And it's that this is the concept of it being a relationship. Yeah. So when you're understanding um, basically power dynamics in situations, people will hide behind their titles. And so it's breaking all of that stuff down, right? And so I'm going... Um, what I'm giving the people that are listening to this podcast is a sample of what I teach where I'm solving communication problems. So it's funny because we said, um, we said before, it's amazing how much energy people spend trying not to know what they know. And the truth is just from listening to you is you actually allowed the communication to break down because you were pissed off. No, by that point, I was angry at him. Yeah. Screw him, I'll take the challenge. Right? Yeah. And the communication could have been maybe he didn't know that it was necessary anymore. And so, like you said, by giving him all of those incentives, if you put it in a way that is honey-filled, it's sweet for him to hear, then 
he might move in the direction that you really wanted, which yeah. was, I really want him to, to be able to see him so I can have a better conversation with him. And so those are simple things, but it all takes the intrapersonal communication of being aware of where you're at. So like, you know, if I get heated at, at someone, I have to go, okay, what was the stimulus that made that, that peed me off? Okay. That upset me. Now, what do I want to do with this? Right. But that is the discipline of communications. And so that's these life skills that we're doing. None of <laughs> no, you, you, you actually have good. You have good. You have good communication just out of that situation. <laughs> um, but but these are the things that you get better at. You know, you are very good, and it's going that willingness, the humility to continue to work on the skill set. Like you said, you went to the radio. You wanted to learn how to do this. And so it's going, if I was coaching you, we'd use that one little example and we'd go, if it happens again, now, if it happens again, <laughs> yeah, right? That's right. I, now I know there's now a, you're going to be a trigger, like, eh, right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to let Rory do that again. Right. Like yeah. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. And then you'll come back and you'll go, guess what I did? This guy turned <laughs> his camera off and I went blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's going to be. It's just building that bridge of communications long-term and short-term immediately. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's good. It's what I, I'm the worst case for this. Cause I'm like the, I'm the worst student of everything because I'm just like, someone says, uh, that's not going to work. And like, oh, well, I'm going to try it enough times. I'm going to either prove that you are incorrect, you know, or I'm going to prove to myself that we are all right about this not working. And I'm a bit of an, I'm a bit of an idiot in that way that I will I will push down the road because I, I want to prove to myself that I am absolutely wrong and I'm right in being wrong. And and it's like I've same thing. It's like even like I think we've talked about intermittent fasting and stuff, and you you've you used that technique. So I do intermittent fasting, but like all just for funsies, I'll just go and I'll eat like an absolute idiot for like 48 straight hours. I'll just <laughs> totally blow up my diet. You know, I, before this, I ate like two just syrup filled pancakes at nine o'clock this morning, just completely destroyed my schedule. And tomorrow <laughs> it's, tomorrow it's going to be hard, mm. but I want to know that I want it to, I don't want it to just work. I want to know that I got to push through it. And it's like that weird moment of like, I could have just told the dude to turn his camera back on and I will next time use a more colorful and, and careful technique to urge them like, oh, actually, if you want to leave the camera on, it's actually kind of neat because we do a lot of, there's there's a funny amount of stuff when just looking at each other, it's, it's easier for a conversation mm. you know, and, and it make it more enticing to do so versus, you know, like that one time. So that, that well, me telling the guy just to leave your camera off, is the same as me eating my syrup filled pancake. I'm like, I, I can push through this. I know I can do this. <laughs> it was my weird <laughs> challenge. Well, I think, and, and, and I think just even responding to that, it's maybe right. Because communication is contextual. And yeah. so it's not whether or not he turns the camera on, it's how you're going to relate to him. Right. Whether, because if you have a hint of, annoyance or a hint of anger, it's going to come through. People feel these things. And so um, 
it's funny when I actually that same software company when I went to get the job, like they were actually based here in Texas. Um, I woke up the morning of, and my wife said, "Oh, have you prepped for the company?" And I said, "No," and she <laughs> said, oh, "Are you going to?" And I said, "Yeah, hold on." I went upstairs. I looked at my computer about two minutes later, and then I came down. She's like, "Is that it?" And I'm like, "Yep, that's it. I'm ready." And she's like, "How can how can you do that?" And it's because I've spent so much time being very uncomfortable in the unknown. And so it wasn't necessarily me going there and telling them how I could help them. It was me going there and listening to if I could help them. And then as soon as they started to lay out the problems, I knew I could help them. And I already know what I offer. And so the preparation is in what I've done for 30 years, right? And, and all that being said, it's going, it's contextual. I don't want it to be, oh, well, if he does this, I have to do that. It's going, no, I'm very flexible of going, well, maybe it'll happen again. And I won't ask him to turn the camera on because I'll know what the trigger is. Right. And in that, I'm going to be able to relate to him better. So it goes back to the whole thing of, interpersonal relationships um and it also i guess in in a sense is why the self-help section of a bookstore is one of the largest ones other than fiction and some would say that they're in fact both fiction but actually engaging with uh, a listener a therapist uh whatever like a group of people so when you're going to sales training you don't go to the sales training section of the bookstore because it's not contextual no, you can't. You, you mean you may, you'll be lucky more than right in the getting a good outcome? Well, I think most people would go to self-help or that for technique, right. right? And I've learned most of what I've learned from human behavior. So if you want to know, read plays. Go read plays. People ask me, like, what's the number one book you recommend? And I tell them the Bible. And they laugh at me and they go, oh, that's, you know, that's funny. And I go, well, whether or not you believe it, the Bible is filled with stories of human behavior and with relationships and how people relate to one another. And so all these concepts of humility, of, see, I always say that Tony Robbins, yeah. basically Tony Robbins has just taken the Bible and excluded Jesus from it. Yeah, exactly. And, and perhaps inserted himself into the character a bit too much. <laughs> he says, I'm no guru, right? Yeah. But, but essentially, that's what he's doing. He's using biblical principles, and then he's using them to hold people accountable to what they believe. And so these concepts of humility, like, uh, uh, you know, it's not to go on like a whole religious rant, but like John and James wanted to be rulers, And Jesus said, let the greatest among you be the least. And so what he was doing was giving a whole basis for leadership. It was servant-based leadership. And so it's going, you know, if I use, if I go and I practically apply that, the results are phenomenal. And I'm not saying you have to believe in Jesus. I'm saying those principles are the same principles Tony Robbins are using, right? So it's... um. The whole thing of of self help. It, 
I don't really believe in self-help. I'm like, good luck with that because <laughs> we can learn all the techniques in the world, but if we don't have the character to support it, if we don't have the heart and now, okay, so I'm on a rant now, but I'm going back real quick to the digital SKO, right? The problem with SKOs is people get ramped up. They get hyped up. Yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to do it. And then they walk out and nothing happens, right? Yeah. So I'm in, I'm working uh, with a group of these rising leaders for a company. I'm training them. And so I gave them a training on negotiation. So the next training I gave them, I said, okay, how many of you, I gave them all a strategy of how to get a raise. How many of you have done what I said? Now, this is about two months later. How many of you have actually implemented what I've said to get a raise? One. One out of 60. Okay. How many have used the techniques that I've taught you? Zero. And so I said, well, think about this from an investment standpoint. You're spending, you know, what's 90 minutes of your time worth? You're spending 90 minutes with me and you're getting zero for it. That's a bad investment of time, right? And so it's this concept of, you know, we can get rah rah, but unless something changes in our heart, if actually, unless something goes into us, nothing is going to change. All the technique in the world, I know tons of techniques and I never use them. Right. right? Like, that's just a fact. So, um, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, I just think that these things are important because technique is not what's going to help you. Right. You know, yeah. I, I, I'd even say, you know, go spend some time with, go, go find a toy that your kid wants. You want to learn about negotiation? Go find a, a, a toy that your kid wants and listen to him try to negotiate with you about how he wants the toy. You'll get a real lesson in negotiation there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing that is that we can do right. And I think that's, that's what it is, is right. It's not just attending the event or reading the book or, you know, listening to the podcast or, or watching the, the documentary. It's, it's what you, it's what you take away from it and, and what you enact as a result of learning that. And it's funny, yeah, like I remember working at, for this one company, I say this, I, it was like a, would sell these coupons for like paintball. Like if you, you know, and you literally go walk around, they drop you off in an industrial area and they pick you up like seven hours later and you get 10 bucks for everyone you sell it. It's, it's pretty shady, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I'd get there. It's like no experience necessary. I was out of a job. I was like 18 at the time I needed, needed the gig. I'm like, why not? Let me give this a whirl sales. You know, what the hell? And it's like seven o'clock in the morning and you walk into the room and all you just, ooch, 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 ooch. and like, people are like, let's fire it up, fire it up, fire it. And like people are, it's like an Amway conference. And you're like, it's seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning. I can't do this. I'm not ready for this. And so I got out of there and I wanted nothing to do with, like, I wasn't going to do what they told me to do in that room. I was going to do what I was going to do anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was not successful at selling those coupons because I, I, I wouldn't learn from the day's behavior. Like I would learn myself from what I was learning and I was learning that I didn't want to do this for a living really quickly. 
And mm. the funny thing is in the end of it, I, 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 by the third day, I just got sick and tired of, of like making like 30, $40 a day selling these coupons. Mm. So I went to go get lunch and I went to a bar and, and there was a pool table there. And so I ended up, you know, watching these guys play pool. And I said, Hey, do you guys mind if I play? They're like, sure. You know, 20 bucks a game. Like, Oh yeah. Why not? What the hell? <laughs> so I played, I played a game and I, and I won a game. So I, I got $20 for, for playing pool for, you know, like nine minutes and, and then I went back and tried to sell these crappy coupons and, and I sold two more at the end of the day. I'm like, it's funny. I made more playing pool than I did in four hours, you know, walking mm. around in an industrial area. So the next day I went and I did my morning and I sold like four coupons. And then I went to the bar and I had lunch and then I played pool for two hours and I made $80. And then mm. I went back and didn't sell any more coupons. And by the last day of the week or the fifth day of the week, I waited till I just basically went to a coffee shop beside the bar for mm. the three hours while I waited for it to open. Then I played pool all day long. I made $120 <laughs> and, and, I, <laughs> and I quit the job because I realized I'm a better pool shark than I am a, a coupon salesman. And it taught me a lot of things. One that you don't, I'm not cooked up for sales. Two, mm don't actually play pool for living in the same bar because eventually you bump into the same guys and that creates another problem. So I got out of both businesses and, and now I'm in technology. So <laughs> <laughs> but it was the point of that was I, I wasn't going to be better at it the next day by going to a morning fired up event mm. because there was no incentive for me to be there. If I'd been told, if I'd been incented to be there, I would have had a different commitment to it. It's so it's a, if I bought the self-help book and I read the back of it and I read through the book and I say, this is great, but it's not for me. Mm -hmm. That's what, that's what people should just be careful because we have every opportunity to do that to our digital company kickoff is that you're going <clears> to... <throat> Give it to them like a self-help book. It's going to be chapterized like it's a meaningful thing to them. Mm. But if you don't create an incentive to take in the lessons and enact them and create a follow-up plan, that did you do the thing that I asked you to do, right? Would it be meaningful mm. for me to change the way I did it to help you enact this behavior? And I think mm. that's, so the kickoff is not more than just the event itself, but the way that you take those behaviors and, and make them pervasive to the way the mm. company and the team works. And I think that's like, that's something that you really, you didn't even say, but it's, it's, it comes out so much is that even if you do the one thing, right. You know, that's, yeah. that's it. It's one and done. You can't be that way. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I'm going to tell you a story after this, but what comes up as you're speaking is what do they want to learn? For what reason are they there? So if they're not actually doing research before the SKO, they're going to miss it. Right. Right. And that goes back to the simplicity of what's on their radar. But what, uh, so now I'm on two, two different topics. So I'm going to write this down. Yeah, um, <laughs> this, is, this is fun part. So, and I'm totally stealing more time. This is what I love about this is I'm like, we should just do like an eight hour podcast and just cut it up in chunks. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going longer because I want to explore some of these things. Like, cause each one kind of triggers a new thing. So, so before I go into something, go, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, so I was going to say, I'll, I'll go back to the, where, where you were saying the one thing, do one thing. Well, I, um, I met some Navy SEALs and I was helping them with something. And 
they were telling me about this training out in San Diego and that there was a guy who taught them jujitsu and that there was this guy who he hadn't been doing jujitsu very long, but he was just unbeatable. And he, they said the secret was not that he was very good at jujitsu, but he could do three things. He could de- defend a certain position. He had one attack and he had one other move. And that between those three moves, he did them perfectly. And he would just be patient until the opportunity would arise. And then that was it. He'd defend himself until the opportunity would arise. And then it was over. And um, and it's the whole concept of you don't need a million techniques. right? You need to do a couple of things very, very well. And um, I think that that's the key. Um, and, and then going back to, like we said, like the SKO, for what reason are you even having an SKO? If you're doing it because, oh, we all have to do it, it's tradition, it's culture, maybe a bad idea and maybe the time to change because times have changed. Now, I'm not saying don't do the SKO, um, but it's going you have to put in the work to know what's on what's important to people. And I know I keep saying the same thing over and over again, but it's going, hopefully that breaks through into people that are listening to the podcast because otherwise you are flushing money down the drain. Right. So it's uh, and I think that it's funny that you say that, like it's, it is tradition. And it's tradition, culture. And we, our culture tells us do it this way. Why do you use PowerPoint? I'm going back to PowerPoint, man. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why would you use PowerPoint? Ah, right? yeah. When this is the this is the thing, and the the I uh, also I'll say from my own experience, having taken in way too many PowerPoints, I know how to create a PowerPoint. And it's funny people say like I don't like builds because it's like too weird. I'm like no 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 because the build is not the problem. The way you use the build is the problem. I don't use the build, the sliding images and the transitions and whatever. I'm not doing it because I want to be really good at PowerPoint. I want to do it because I've got a talk track that's going to be punctuated by the click of the button. So every time I say a word, you see it come on the screen and then you go to the next thing and you see the next thing. And then why are you here? We go to the next slide and it's just a big image. And that, and it's like, it's matching the cadence of the talk track, but instead we build a PowerPoint like it's the goddamn presentation by itself. <laughs> and people always ask me like, can you send me your presentation? I'm like, it's it's seven full screen images. So sure, whatever, <laughs> I can send it to you, but isn't gonna be isn't gonna be meaningful. I could send you a picture of a of a streetscape. It's it's as meaningful if you didn't attend it or you you right? but. Mm. But that's it. So if you follow the tradition, you fill it with words, you use the template, you do the thing, and then you assume that you're successful at the end because you've done a PowerPoint. But what you don't get at the end of it is the 20 people that come up to the stage at the end and say, I really like the way you described that thing. So I've got this neat situation that I'm in front of, and I'd like to get your advice on it. All right, bingo. My PowerPoint Hmm. achieved the goal as a tool. But yeah, for many companies, the outcome is the well-produced video, the well-produced PowerPoint and like, what's the actual outcome? Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's funny. I, you know, it, it's the whole concept of sticking with tradition. Um, and I can't go into the whole like theory of this, but there is a theory behind it of like early adopters and then, you know, like sneezers, that whole concept. Yeah. yeah. Um, the bell curve. Um, but I was doing a virtual event. This is, I don't know, a month and a half ago, two months ago. And so they called me and they asked me, you know, we can't find anyone else to do our intro. Could you come up with something that's more dynamic? I said, okay, yeah, I can do that. So I ended up shooting this video and there's this thing I do with a Rubik's cube, which you've never seen, which is new. And it just freaks people out. But um, so I started talking to them about their virtual event being like a Rubik's cube and I'm mixing the cube up and this and that. And then the cubes completely mixed up and it instantly solves itself. And I don't mean like instant, like, Oh, it's two seconds. I mean, like <laughs> in the like, snap of a finger yeah. and I integrated it into how their whole event would go. And as I, as I did that, you talk about engagement. I had people calling me up going, we've rewatched your intro eight times <laughs> trying to figure out how this thing, like, this is crazy. We have no clue. But that was the concept of I was marrying that visual engagement with what their virtual event was. So essentially what I was doing was plugging their event. People were watching me plug their event eight times because they were trying to figure out how this visual, this yeah. interesting visual worked. Um, and that's where... Uh, you know, this has nothing to do with magic. It has everything to do with engagement and attention management. Um, it works. I can tell you that I, when we were at in Las Vegas, at re, was it was a reinvent that we did together, uh, where we first met. It was it was one I think of the it was reinvent, yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. And one of you know, and and I, I can I blow up one trick? I'll say it's all. I, blow I, it I, up. Blow so it up. it's not even a trick. But it's so funny. It's a very simple thing. You say like, you know, you give me your hands, you know, and you, and you drop the coin and you like get them, you hold their hand and you, and you drop the coin in the hand and then, you, and then you basically turn it around and then you, the coin pops upwards. And so I, I, it was fantastic to watch. It's, a, it's such a beautiful visual. It's really simple. It's slick and it uses so many neat principles that which is why, what made me adore this technique. And I thought I want to totally totally steal this technique because I just wanted to figure this thing out. And so I'm, I'm the idiot that will replay that video like 40 times trying to figure out when the, when the transition happened, like how, where, where was the moment that it happened? Mm. So then I go up to Houdini's magic shop, you know, which is in all these places <laughs> in Vegas. And I was like, I need to find out. I said, I, I didn't, I, there's a thing about a zero gravity coin. I said like, I don't know what it is. And they're like, it's not, it's not a trick. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He goes, it's a muscle pass. And I'm like, what the hell is a muscle pass? And he's like, <laughs> and he shows me and I'm like, oh, dang it. So, you know, now because I'm also like a raccoon reaching for a shiny object, I spent the next like two months learning the muscle pass. And then it's like one of these funny things that I learned how to do. But the point of it was like, in doing that, I remember every other part of your show. I remember every part of your talk track. I remember the scene that was around it. When you go to a kickoff and you make it engaging, 
you remember everything around it and it attaches itself like a memory. It's an imprint. Mm. When I hear a song by Imagine Dragons, I've seen them in concert three times. I remember it from my first company kickoff when it was mm. put to the backdrop of a video of our you know, showing the office and people cheering. And it was like a beautiful cut together video by our, our digital team. And every time I hear that song, I don't remember the three times I saw them in concert. I remember seen, sitting in a Boston mm. Commons hotel with 250 people that changed my life for the next six years. Mm. So when I go to a kickoff in the same way that I'm, I, I want people to think about the rest of the experiences wrapped around it. And like I said, I use the, 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 the goofy muscle pass coin story. And I, I challenge people, go and figure it out, check it out. It's, it's, uh, it's painful to learn, but uh, once you get it, once you get it figured out, it's fun. So my, my son, my son gets a real kick out of it. <laughs> I think I practiced it on him, but the, it's a, it's a digital experience. It's an event experience. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I talked before about it's not the thing that you learn there, it's how you apply the thing. It's the attachments, it's the imprint, it's the behavior. Mm. So you got to do the thing right there so that it makes a difference to that person's life. So yeah. that four months away, like you said, they're techniques. So give them that jujitsu. Like yeah. then, then yeah. when that situation comes up, the jujitsu comes out, they're like, I, I know how to defend this move. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. And, and, um, cause I do have to, but I will say we haven't touched on this, but this is a big component of, of communications is excellence, right? We've, I've kind of downplayed technique quite a bit. Right. Um, but that's partly because, communications comes easy to me doesn't come easy to everyone else my wife's introverted she is a much better communicator now and she'll she'll tell you that but it's difficult for her it's easy for me um but excellence is important in whatever we're doing right i don't want to buy your product if it's not excellent you wouldn't want to come to me to help you with communications if i'm not excellent in that and so it's going we want to make sure that the the way SKOs are done, the way virtual events are done, they're done with excellence. And that excellence is understanding human behavior and helping people have a better experience. And that's where the communications and the relationships tie in. Um, and I think that that is really the key, that you have to be excellent at what you do. And now I'll say this one one last thing, and um, and this goes for me as well. But it it's so hard for us to admit we don't know, because part of our our identity is wrapped up in what we do, performance identity. So, um, you know, it, there was a company at RSA last year, and I don't know if I told you this story, but they had probably a hundred thousand dollar booth just the booth build out and they had no one in their booth and we had negotiated about me coming and working with them and they didn't want to pay my fee and i said okay 
Well, I stopped by and they spent a hundred thousand dollars on nothing. <laughs> and so I said, do you mind if I give you a couple of tips? And the CMO basically kind of was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, I gave him three tips and he came by my booth at the end of the event. Cause I was working for a different company and he's like, Hey, I'd really like to talk to you again. He said, I, did what you said. And I've watched people walk up to my booth and stand on the carpet line for the last three days. (laughs) 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 But I tell that because it took humility. And it also took a thing of like, look, I'm not here to take over your job. I'm here to help you do your job more effectively. I don't want any glory. I want you to be better at what you're doing. Um, But I think that's hard for all of us because if someone came in and they started showing me where I could do better. I actually, I think I'd be happy to do it because I, I want that. I want to get better. But also my identity is not wrapped up in how well I perform, how well yeah. I do. And so I, I throw that out to the people that are, are planning the SKOs of like, don't be afraid to reach out to other people that know more. And that's that famous story of Ed Catmull. Do you know this from no, Pixar? No. When Steve Jobs was hiring the CEO of Pixar, which ends up being Catmull, Catmull wrote a book on this, but um, he said that Jobs said, write down five people that can do the job as good or better than you. So Catmull was like, okay. So he wrote down these five people. So Jobs called him up and he said, you're hired. And he was like, what, what do you mean? I, I don't understand what you're talking about. And he said, I asked, the other five guys on your list, the exact same question. And those were the guys I was interviewing and none of them wrote down anyone. They said that they were the best and that no one else could help. But I want someone in the position that's not afraid to surround themselves with people that are better than them. So um, now Catmull is the CEO of Pixar, but it's worked um, out (laughs) pretty interesting. That's why I'm always around you because I, uh, I, I I'm mediocre at everything, so I surround myself with great people. <laughs> it, it's, uh, but it is, it's very much continue to be a student. Humility is is impressive, you know, in that in what it can do for you. You know, it's 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 something that's uh, it, we need to continue learning. Even the greatest CEOs always look for. They all have mentors. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has somebody that they look to that is, uh, if they're not doing it overall better, there's a thing that they're doing that they're better at. And and uh, so- I think as soon as we lose that, we're in trouble. As soon as we lose the humility, like, you know, going back to the Bible, pride comes before the fall, right? And just when you start to think that you're really great at something, or I start to think I'm really great at something, then I'm not as open to learning. And I think that's really important. And it's a, a good learning. So for people that want to do better uh, or want to engage, you know, and they, they want to find out about what you can do to help them, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rory, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, my website is just Roar Communications. That's R-O-A-R. So J-U-S-T, like justice, just Roar Communications. And um, my personal home phone number is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally will dox you. <laughs> Eric, Eric took a big gulp. When yeah. I said is it that. is it doxing if you give it at yourself? <laughs> I think that's it. 
but yeah, that's the best way. Yeah. Uh, so, and I would encourage people to do so and, and think about, you know, what, what we can do, what we can do better. Right. And it's like, we can do this for each other, for our teams, for our companies, for our ourselves, you know, what we can, we can do a lot of stuff better. The world forced us to do it. And I think a lot of people have, have learned well, and there, there is humility in how we've responded to a lot of the stuff that's gone on in the world. Um, mm. And I hope that people capture that lesson. So in the same way that I remember that song that, and I attach the team and the people and the behavior that it changed in my life to it. I look back over the last year and losing the in-person experience, losing all that stuff, I think about how I can attach a better thing to that as we go into next year and, and, you know, create pretty fantastic memories uh, through digital, you know, means. And also mm. now I got to see this Rubik's cube thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, one, one last thing I could have done better. I should have periodically through the podcast, just gone, just roar communications, That's just roar communications.com, <laughs> just roar communications. Did I say just roar communications? <laughs> but you can probably fix that in post. Just yeah. go to commercial every once in a while and dump yeah, that in. Exactly. <laughs> Guests of just roar communications stay at the local Holiday Inn, uh, sponsored by just roar communications. Yeah, I, I, I think I did one. It was I, I, I was talking with somebody and I joked about it. I said, I'm going to get the my pillow guy because that dude is really good at shilling pillows, man. I want to buy some pillows and it's always like we, we i use this kind of a joke reference that and like pete my favorite thing is my call-in guys whenever i i do events if i if, if you don't have engagement i create engagement i create a person that asks a question and in the end somebody will actually ask a question so i always joke said so my thing is like i'm a late night host and i say uh all right uh pete from wisconsin a line two you know, and it, we joke about it. And then I was actually at a digital event where the team was in Wisconsin. And I said, if there's not someone named Pete on this call, I'm going to be really disappointed because I need a Pete from Wisconsin. <laughs> For 20 years, I've been talking about Pete from Wisconsin. Uh, but in the meantime, we were talking to Rory. Uh, so just RoryCommunications.com. Check it out. Uh, and thanks very much, man. I uh, happy as we're recording it into the holidays. Uh, we're going to get this out quick so people can kind of get caught up as they head into kickoff season. And hopefully uh, they learn some of the lessons that you've shared today and even better that they uh, engage you and, and hopefully do that kickoff. Right. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Enjoy. <laughs>